Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Well, my title this morning is Our Perfect Father. Our Perfect Father. And when it comes to preaching or teaching along the lines of whether it's a Mother's Day or a Father's Day, there's always many scenarios that exist that make the day wonderful for some and painful for others. You do realize that. So to try to minister to the needs of all the people requires the spirit of the living God. Amen. Which is why I entitled it, Our Perfect Father. Now, in some situations, you've got infertility where people weren't able to have children. And so it's painful to have a Father's Day when you're not able to have children. On the other hand, you've got those that had, let's say, an, an abusive, maybe alcoholic father. And as a result, of course, it's painful on the end of the child. You've got those that have had wonderful fathers, and for them, it's, it's wonderful for them. It's a wonderful day of celebration. Then, of course, you've got those that um, have children that disrespect them. And as a result, of course, it's painful for some fathers on Father's Day. You get where I'm going, and the list goes on and on, the different scenarios that exist, and you're trying to minister life to all the people that are involved. And so with all these scenarios, it doesn't make it an easy thing to do. Well... We're going to address it in a, in a way I believe that will be very beneficial and helpful to all of us. Before I even get into all that, I want to give you some statistics. According to the United States Census Bureau data from 2022, these are some of the statistics. The United States owns the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness. We own that title. 18.3 million or one in four children live without a father in the home. 80% of single parent homes are led by single mothers. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 71%. 85% of youth in prison grew up in a home without a father. And then 85% of youth with mental and behavioral problems, grew up in a home without a father. 63% of youth suicides took place among those who grew up in a home without a father. And so the list goes on and on about the effects of fatherlessness, growing up in a home without a father to be an example or to take responsibility and fulfill certain duties you know, required, of course, according to God's word. But even at that, it seems to me, and I pray that I'm not guilty of this or haven't been guilty of this over the years, that when it comes to a Mother's Day message, mother is exalted to a high place. 
when it comes to a Father's Day message, he's maligned for not doing what he needs to be doing. <laughs> for some reason. I don't know what that reason might be. But we're not going down that path this morning at all. Because I'm going to focus on our perfect Father. Amen? Amen? Amen. Our perfect Father is not sitting here among us. Our perfect Father, of course, is in heaven seated on the throne. But first and foremost, let's look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 48. This is our Lord speaking. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's a verse of Scripture that made me shudder when I first started reading Matthew's Gospel, when I first got saved. Be what? Perfect, even as your Father in heaven is what? Perfect. I thought, what a challenge for anyone, right? Absolutely. Now, when Jesus came to the earth, he came to make visible the invisible God and present him as a loving, caring, heavenly father. If you read through the Gospels, what you discover is this. Over a hundred times, you heard these statements made by Jesus. We just read one. It's either my father, your father, our father, or the father. You say, well, what's so important about that? Well, I'll tell you what's so important about that. The Jews had no concept of God being a loving, caring, heavenly father. They had names for God. Elohim, Yahweh, Al Shaddai. Of course, Jehovah, the covenant name of God. And the need determined by which name they called out to him. For example, if they were full of anxiety, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord what? My peace. If they had need of provision, Jehovah Jireh. He was known as my provider. If they felt lonely, Jehovah Shama. The Lord is here. If they needed healing, Jehovah Rapha. The Lord my healer. So they knew him by many multiple names. But not once was it Father. It was all these other names for God. So when Jesus started to talk about God being his father and their father, your father, our father, that concept, concept made them angry. What are you doing talking about God like he's your father? And so on. Well, once again, in his Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus do? He painted a picture for us of God being a wonderful, loving, caring Heavenly Father, and an example for all fathers to follow, of course. But my focus, once again, like I said, is on our perfect Father. And I want us all to know, no matter what your scenario is, what your case may be, all of us, male, female alike, we have a wonderful, loving, caring Heavenly Father who wants us to get to know Him. Maybe you were abandoned, you know, by your earthly father. Maybe you don't know who your earthly father is. You grew up and you don't even know who your earthly father, biological father is. No matter what the scenario, you have a wonderful, loving, caring, heavenly father who wants you to get to know him and experience him in this life. Isn't that good to know? So number one, our father is a father of provision. He provides. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, look at verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither they reap, nor gather into barns, 
Yet, notice the expression, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Wow. Yes, we are. So in other words, what he was saying was this. You're so much better than all the fowls of the air and all the animals in the animal kingdom that God's made provision for you. Now go back to Adam. When he brought Adam into this realm, when Adam came into this realm, you know what? God made provision for him. Hold that thought just for a moment. When you heard that your wife was pregnant with your first child, what did you do? Did you make provision? Did you put together some things, like a room, and put some things in that room? Now, I'm dating myself, but if I go back to 1973 when my first child was born, and if she listens to this, she'll probably not be happy with me saying that she's going to celebrate her 50th birthday on November the 2nd of this year. Jason, don't tell her I said that. Thank you. But back in 1973, you didn't have the ultrasound and all the you know, the technology we have today to determine the gender of the child. So what did you do? You waited somewhere and find out. What, you know, so what you did was you didn't paint the room blue or pink, maybe off-white or something like that, or maybe put that on hold until you found out what the gender was. You didn't want your baby boy living in a pink room, etc. you know. But you put together something because of the arrival of this child. Well, guess what? God didn't put together a room for any of us. He put together a universe. And he created an environment of perfection. And he placed then, upon his arrival, Adam in that garden. And gave him everything that you can imagine. What a perfect place for him to arrive at. Well, that's our Heavenly Father. He makes provisions before the need even arises. And that's what he did for him. Can you imagine this? He created the universe for him. The sun, moon, and the stars to love the earth. The earth filled with all resources to love the man. And then the man arriving in that perfect place called the Garden of Eden to love God back, which he failed at. But the point is, he is a God who provides for his own. And you think about this. When you and I were born into the family of God by the blood of Jesus, he already made provision by giving us all things that pertain to life and godliness and blessing us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then how about this one? How many of you at one point in your life believe that you're going to leave this realm and go be with him in glory? Did you know he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you? Your place is either being prepared or it's already prepared for you by him. So that where I'm at, you can be also. So he is a God who provides for his own Thank God for his provision and what perfection it is. Well, number two, he loves us with perfect love. Once again, we walk by faith and not by sight. God loves us with a perfect love, a love that transcends anything the human mind can possibly comprehend. Once again, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, we go to that same text, Sermon on the Mount, and listen to the words of our Lord. You have heard that it had been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. He's talking to the Jews, and that's the Old Testament. It's exactly what it said. You love your neighbor, but you hate your enemy. But I say unto you, see, they, they had no concept of this. 
Love your enemies. And then he tells you how. Bless them that curse you means speaks well of those that speak evil of you. Do good to them that hate you. Yeah, I thought that's my to-do list. Number one on the to-do list this morning. And pray for them which despitefully use you. Yeah, that's also, that was number two on my to-do list. And persecute you. Really? Mm. He goes on to say, That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? In verse 37, 47, And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Then the last verse, of course, says, be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, I want you to love all humanity. Whether they're good, whether they're bad, I want you to love all humanity, even your enemies. And he tells you how to do it. So this is called divine love. Love that's unconditional, based on principle and decision, not feeling and emotion. It's not something that's based on what they do good to me, then I'll do good back to them. No, he just says love all people. What a mandate. Well, a tall order for all of us. But my point is this. This is how he loves us. This is the way he loves us. We have a lot of things that maybe distort that view of God, but God loves you that much. Look in the book of Romans in chapter 5. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, died for us. What an amazing statement. Not while we were you know, good people doing wonderful deeds, of greatness before God. But while we were yet sinners, God poured out his love upon us in the person of his son who gave his life for us to prove the depth of his love for us. God's love has height, it's got depth, right? It's got length, it's got breadth. And we see that in the book of Ephesians to know the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of God's love. We see it in John 3, 16, the crucifixion, it, all that was just for you. It was just for me. Can you imagine that? That's how much he loves us. And nothing can separate us from that love. But of course, we have a distorted view of it. Uh, look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, because this is the verse that really should stand out to us. You want to know why you love him? Tell me why. That's why we love him. If he didn't love us, we wouldn't even know him. If, we, if he didn't love us, he would have left us on the road to eternal destruction and damnation. But because he loved us so much, he sent his son to take our place, to die our death. Think about that. He died our death. He took our place. He died our death. He suffered our hell. Wow. He paid our sin debt. So if you feel like you're abandoned, you feel like as though maybe you're not loved, I want you to know something. Get your focus on God the Father. He is a perfect Father who's made provisions for you, who loves you deeply, loves you dearly. And then number three, He's forgiven us and showed mercy to us. God is a God of love, yes, and mercy, as well as judgment and justice. Look at the book of Ephesians, or, yeah, Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 32. A verse that once again is one of those even as verses. Did you ever look at the even as verses in the Bible? 
Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So in other words, he knew that even as children of a love God, we might make some mistakes along the way. Since you've been born again, have you made a mistake? Anyone who hasn't made a mistake, please stand up. Make your way to the front and teach us a little bit this morning. We've all done wrong along the way, haven't we, since we've been born again, washed in the blood? But thank God for his mercy. Look at Lamentations chapter 3. And this is from the English Standard Version of the Bible. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Why is he showing us this mercy, not giving us what we deserve? Because he knows our frame. He knows the condition that we're in in our fallen state. He knows he gave birth to us in the spirit, but he also knows the flesh wars against the spirit. And the mind in between, of course, gives us fits sometimes. He knew all that. So when we would miss the mark, thank God we can go to him. And by that same blood that saved us, that's the same blood by which we cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Thank God for that twofold working of the blood of the Lamb. It sanctifies us. In other words, it sets us apart and presents us holy without spot, blemish, or blame before God's presence and glory. But secondly, it enables us to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So he knew we would fall and miss the mark along the way. But thank God for his provision. Thank God nothing separates us from the love of God. The only thing that can would be our own thoughts about ourselves. Do you war with sometimes, sometimes with the thoughts that you have about yourself? You missed the mark. You did something wrong. Is God looking down on me and holding me uh, you know, guilty and accountable all the time? Has the devil brought up some things you did about 10, 15, 20 years ago and hold them over you? He tries to do that with people. And the only thing is, if we let him, he'll do it. But if we don't let him, because we know the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all that. See, we have a loving father who is perfect in all of his ways. In his perfection, he's provided everything that we need. He loves us with an endless love that's renewed every morning. Thank God uh, when we wake up in the morning, we can face his unchanging love and tender loving mercies. It's unfailing. But thank God if we miss the mark along the way, we've got mercy and forgiveness. Look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 10. There's something here uh, to highlight that's almost, you could say, confusing. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace. Wait a minute. Isn't he the prince of peace? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't the angel say peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Yeah. yeah. Well, to the earth, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Wow, what a section of scripture. How do we explain that? Well, the sword is the word. And Jesus said, when I've come into the earth, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring the truth of God's word to the earth. And if you go back then in those days, if you live back then in those days, it's not like here today in America where we live. If you accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you're probably going to be excommunicated from your church. 
and possibly even set up to be killed, which is why Paul was being chased down all the time. They wanted to kill him. The sword that he's bringing is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when people embraced Christ back then, you had to be excommunicated from your synagogue, I'll say, the, you know, the Jewish faith. It was a big thing for you to be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul had papers in his hands on the Damascus Road to find anybody on that road who was a Christian to do what? Throw them in the prison and have them either stoned to death or beheaded. That's why back in the early church, they suffered all kinds of persecution in the Roman Colosseum, being eaten by animals, lions, and so on. Why? Because they accepted Christ. Even today in our own home, you might have two children raised in the same household, and one says, I'm going to live by the word, and the other one says, I'm not. That's possible, right? What about the prodigal son? What did he do? He thought he knew more than dad. Well, he found out when he got out there into the world that nothing is just handed over to you that easily. And when he spent all that he had on riotous living and all that, he finally just came to his senses and said, what am I doing? I need to go back to my father's house and just be a servant, right? And of course, how did the father receive him? With great love and affection as a result. So it's important for us to recognize the fact that we serve a perfect father. And even if we miss the mark along the way, and maybe there's a time of rebellion even within any of us, that we can always go back knowing that he is merciful, kind, and loving. And as far as the east is from the west, he removes our transgressions from us. Amen? Okay, number four. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Number four is he, he uh, makes himself available to us. Maybe your earthly father wasn't available to you. Maybe he wasn't there for you. Don't know that. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, to be truthful, you know, the throne is only open on Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. <laughs> Saturday, 9 to 12. Sunday's off for rebooting. Right? Uh, no. No. No, I believe it's a 24-7 deal. That the throne of grace is open to anyone, anytime, come boldly. Why? Because he makes himself available to us. He doesn't keep anyone out. He's always there for us. And the beauty of this, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time for all of us. No matter who we are, where we are, he's always there for us. If we need mercy and grace, all we got to do is go to the throne. And we can go boldly knowing that we're accepted there by the blood of the Lamb. It's not by my performance or your performance, but by the performance of Christ. It's based on what He's done for us. And so we have all the resources that we need, praise God. All we got to do is do what? Be bold enough to go. So if you're out there and maybe you haven't had that kind of a loving relationship, a closest with your earthly father, You've got a perfect heavenly father who cares about you as an individual. Let me tell you something right now. My duty and responsibility as a pastor is not to bring you to this altar to come to me or a prayer partner for help. It's for all of us to send you to the throne of God. Because he's your father. He's your savior. He's your redeemer. He's your Lord. And you've got faith and you've got access. He's available 24-7.
and you can go. Freely come, he says, I'm here for you. But go with the word in your heart and mouth. Go in faith. Number five, he rewards the obedience of his children. Deuteronomy chapter 28, he rewards the obedience of his children. This is our perfect father. And it shall come to pass, if you'll hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God and observe to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. Then he lists numerous blessings after that. So he rewards the obedience of his children. Thank God. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, all the blessings we hear about, all the blessings we talk about, they're wonderful. He'll bless our coming in, our going out, in the city, in the field, in the basket, in the store, all that we set our hand to do will prosper. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And the list goes on and on. He'll make you the head and not the tail above, only and not beneath, right? We thank God for all that. But Hebrews eleven six says this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? To please him. Because he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And he is a what? A rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. Do you know what your reward is when you diligently seek him? Him. Him. He is the reward. The reward is I know him. No, no, not just about him. I know him. I remember years ago, someone came uh, to me and all kind of thoughts and Concepts about the end times, about God, about the rapture, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all that sort of thing. And said, I just want you to give me some concise understanding about the end times. I said, look, I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell. The wrath of God is not going to come on you. Why? I said, because he loves you. That's too simple. It's the simplicity of the gospel. Years later, they come to realize you're right. God's not calling me to wrath. God loves us. We're his children. We're not just people like the Jews were. We are born again, blood-washed, child, children of the living God. He gave birth to us. Of his own will gave he birth to us. God wants us to view him and see him as our perfect father. Who's loved. Matter of fact, let's go way back to the beginning. His heart's desire was to have a family, which is why he created Adam in the first place. He wanted to have a family. The dream was to have a family. All the other things that took place before, we don't know, but we know that he wanted to have a family. And when he said to Adam, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, rear up a godly seed, exercise dominion and authority over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and every creeping thing, he wanted a family. But that plan, that dream of him having a family was thwarted when Adam and Eve sinned against God. But God so wanted a family. God so loved the world. He so wanted to have people like himself throughout eternity that would live with him and reign with him that he could have fellowship with. That he made a decision that only one way to birth children out of this fallen state. You ready for this? There's only one way this can occur. It can't happen by just saying, follow this creed. Go to church long enough. Do a few good deeds. You're going to be okay. Remember one person, when I first got saved, hit me on my leg and said, oh, calm down. You'll be okay. You'll make heaven one day. Just be good. God will take care of you. 
Really? I put up with that for 24 years. I got born again. I know better than that now. No, it's not going to take me being good. It's not going to take me walking down the street, giving somebody who's homeless a, a, a sandwich or a dollar or whatever. It's not going to take me just, uh, you know, helping out people here on, on this side of heaven. It's going to take a whole lot more than that. For God to give birth to me, for God to take me from the throes of death and pull me out and uproot me from the throes of death and plant me into his kingdom was going to take a whole lot more than that. It was going to take him sending his son to the earth, robe himself in flesh, walk on this earth as no man walked, do as no man ever did, live like no man ever lived, go to a cross and die like no man ever died, and then enter the bowels of the earth and suffer the penalty of my sin, your sin, and the wrath of God upon him. And God would have to raise him from the dead as the first begotten of the Father who would give birth to sons and daughters like himself. That's what it took for you to become a son or a daughter of the Most High God. We have to believe that. Embrace that. And you know what? Enjoy all that it entails. All that it means. So in other words, get our focus off any... There's no perfect earthly father. I'm sorry to say that. I know you view your father as being perfect and that's okay. That's okay. I'll give you that liberty. But ask him. And he'll tell you there's only one perfect. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank God. Obedience opens up the door to God's blessings. Look at the next one, number six. Corrects his children. If you love your child, you'll correct your child, right? Yeah. But look at Hebrews 12, verses 6 and 7. This is from the message translation of the Bible. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as, a dear, as dear children. So here we see that God, who loves his children, will also correct his children. Now, this has been debated for God only knows how long. God does not send evil to train his children. He doesn't send cancer, earthquakes, tsunamis, storms. And the list goes on and on and on. That is not the way that God trains his children. Earthly fathers, he goes on to say in that same chapter, he, they will correct their children, discipline their children in the flesh. That's if you live before 19, uh, what? You're going to get that in a moment. Now if you use the rod of correction on the seat of learning, you're an abuser. Right? Don't now tell that to my dad. My dad had a cheater cord. Know what a cheater cord is? Ask my seat of learning. It'll tell you. <laughs> I'm telling you. Wow. It'll get you to line up. Right, Brother Ben? Mm-hmm. You talk back to your mom? Stand up. You talk back to your mom? How tall are you? 6'4". Six, 6'4". Six, How tall is she? Thank you, brother. Does she have to be 5'5"? Five, five? I can look her eyeball to eyeball. Imagine that. You didn't talk back. Mm-mm. 
Why not? <laughs> if you didn't hear that, she got a 6'6 guy that stood behind her. So there's no way. But you see, that's all shifted. That's all changed. Now, if you even use, well, well, listen, when I was in parochial school, see these knuckles? They knew the ruler by name. You didn't mess up. You got it on your hand. You know, as a matter of fact, when I was in gym class, oh my goodness, this, you, this athletic director, he would drill holes in his paddle. He didn't want any air stopping the effects of the paddle. He wanted to make sure you got the whole deal, you know. Try to do that today. Where do you end up? In a lawsuit, right? Right. See, there was a time we understood the need for correction. Earthly fathers corrected in the flesh, but our Heavenly Father doesn't use fleshly things to teach His children to correct them or discipline them. Look at 2 Timothy, and we see what He uses. Every scripture is God-breathed, given by His inspiration, and profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error, discipline in obedience, and for training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will, in thought, purpose and action. There it is right there. So that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well-fitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why he wants us to attend church. That's why he wants us to listen to messages. Because that's the way he corrects his children. You know, people can say, well, hey, I, I, this is the way I want to do it. This is the way I want to live my life. That's okay, but you need to correct it if you're not, if you're not doing it God's way. And you don't want someone up here tickling your ears and saying, well, that's okay, that's okay, what will be, will be, whatever you want, live the way you want, do what you want, that's okay, God still, no, that's not the kind of love that God has. He loves us enough to correct us and to train us and to teach us according to his word, to instruct us in righteousness by giving us his word, but, and there is a but to it, if the person still rebels, absolutely refuses to do it God's way, and they're in danger of losing out with God completely, he turns them over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Did you hear that? He turns them over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. That's good preaching. Amen. The Corinthian church, they were told that by Paul. This guy's living in immorality with his stepmother. And that's not right. I know you may have tried to, uh, to get him to try to reach him, but no. We, this is unacceptable. And if he won't listen, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his what? Flesh. Why? That his spirit would be saved. We've got to look at life that way. The eternal spirit of man is what's most valuable and precious. That's why Jesus died for it, so that we could become children of Almighty God. He doesn't want to lose us to the devil. So turn him over to Satan. You know, when your flesh is destroyed, you're not concerned about living with your stepmother anymore. And the man was about to die, repented, gave his heart back to God, and was reinstated and restored in the church. At first, they didn't want to accept them, but Paul said, no, you accept them. He repented from his heart. You accept them in the church. Can you see that? Yeah. Think about an Ananias and Sapphira situation. Can you, imagine, can you imagine if church was like that? Imagine that. You lied to the Holy Ghost, boom, you're dead. 
Uh, Sapphira, how you doing, hon? Ah, uh, doing well. Nice to see you, Pete. Good to talk with you, Peter. Right? Uh, ask, just ask me one question. Simple question. Did you sell your uh, house for that much money? Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. Boom. Fall over dead. Can you imagine that? Wow, the church had great fear come upon them, didn't they? Absolutely. God's last resort is to turn some over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? To save their spirit. And finally, look at this number seven. He gives perfect gifts to his children. Are you in line? James 1.17 from the New International Version. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Why is that so important? Man changes, his views change, but God never changes. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It's a, good, it's a gift that's not only good, it's perfect, it's appropriate for his children, no matter what it is. When it comes from the throne of God, it's absolutely the best. People don't want to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and I don't know why. You talk about a perfect gift for all of his children. It was so important back then that Paul, some 20 years later, asked the people, did you receive the Holy Ghost? Notice he didn't say, did God give you the Holy Ghost? He said, did you receive the Holy Ghost since you believed? We never heard there be a Holy Ghost. Well, look, there is a Holy Ghost, and you need to receive the Holy Ghost like you received Jesus. He's God's gift. Jesus, matter of fact, put it this way. I got to go away, and when I go, I'm not going to leave you orphans. Did you hear that? I'm going to send you another comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and standby. Someone just like me to take my place and do my part for you. To be there for you, to guide you in all the truth, speak to you what he hears of the Father, and show you things to come. The Holy Ghost is coming. Receive him. And yet, people don't want to receive the fullness of the Spirit when that gift has freely been given. Why not? Well, because the devil's done his part to make people afraid of that. But look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, because here's where Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, reveals the Father, reveals his heart, and shows exactly how he is, but he makes a comparison here. And look at this. Ask, and it shall be given to you. What's the first letter in the word ask? A. Seek, what's the first letter? S. S. And ye shall find. Knock, what's the first letter? A. Notice those three letters. What did they spell? A. Ask. Mm-hmm. And it shall be open to you. Go on. For everyone that asks receives. He that seeks finds. Him that knocks it shall be open. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, would he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil, natural, individual parents know how to give good gifts unto your children. Everybody say those three words with me. How much more? Say it again. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? Ask is the key here. Know that He loves you so much that if you ask Him for, for whatever, bread, He's not going to give you a stone. Fish, He's not going to give you a serpent. Egg, He's not going to give you a scorpion. Why? Because he makes the comparison. Because just like a natural earthly father wants to give nothing but good gifts to his children, even so the father of lights, with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning, there's not even a, a smidgen of a chance 
that God would change in any way. Because he said, I will not ever leave you nor forsake you, that you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man should do unto me. When he makes a statement like that, there's not even a chance that he would change from that perspective, from that position. So ask, he'll give you whatever. You want the Holy Ghost? Ask him, he'll give you the Holy Ghost. You want direction? He'll give you guidance in the direction that you need. Why? Because as any good father would give direction, he will also. So it's important to know this is the character of our loving father. And look at the verse in 2 Corinthians 9.15. God so loved the world, who did he give? Can anything separate us from the love of God that's in Christ? No. If God be for us, if he spared not his son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Thanks be unto God for his what? Unspeakable means what? You can't articulate it. It's indescribable. He's inexpressible. You and I don't even have the mentality to come up a word with a word that is sufficient to define what this unspeakable gift is. Can you imagine you have a father like that? Our perfect father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You talk about new meaning. Our father is relationship. You're in heaven. Your perspective is higher than ours. Hallowed be your name means you're such a holy, holy, holy God. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. That's what I represent here on the earth. Your will be done on earth, in earth, as it is in heaven. Thank you for our daily supply. You, you get it. Let's all stand together. Let's take a moment. Be respectful. Take a moment. Throw that verse up again, Mike, if you wouldn't mind. This is going to be our goal for the rest of this year. Uh, that the verse... In uh, Psalm, Psalm 89, verse 7. Some of us weren't here when we did it earlier. Notice this. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Did you get that? And to be held in reverence by all those around him. Over the years, you know, I've seen a decline when it comes to, you know, Again, I don't want to be critical or judgmental. When people want to come into a church service, bring your coat, bring your popcorn, bring this, bring that, wear your hat, cut, you know, and whatever. What's ever happened? What's ever happened? All week long, we could do anything we want out there. Within, of course, God's bounds. But when we gather like this, this is the assembly of saints. God wants us to come with a mentality that says, when, those door, when I walk through that door over there, I'm shifting my thoughts. I want to walk in the fear of God. All you have to do is show up once in a while. Remember Adab and Abihu? And how they were zapped? Remember that? Sure. We serve a holy God. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and full of glory, you didn't have to say to him, now Isaiah, bow. Mm-mm. Didn't have to say that. Whew. When John heard a voice behind him on the Isle of Patmos, 
And that voice, he wanted to turn around. And when I saw, boom, on my face before God. When Solomon made an end of praying, the glory of the Lord filled the house of God and immediately everybody fell to their faces. Why am I saying this? Because our desire is for the manifest presence of God. We walk in the omnipresence of God. That means everywhere we go, He's all around us. But the manifest presence of God is when God shows up in a tangible way. And when we come in with this mentality that says, here we are, the assembly of the saints. God is to be greatly feared. It's time to put away my phone. You know, unless you're looking at your scriptures, that's fine. Your iPad, whatever. Keep the other stuff on the outside. Keep your donut back in the room back there. I'm not saying that you're doing this. I'm saying there's a lot of churches that actually promote that. They made provisions for that. Why am I saying this? Because I believe it's disrespectful when it comes to God. I believe this here is a holy place. And this here is holy ground. And we are the church and we should greatly fear God. Enough to say, you know what? I want to bring him my best. And it's not just physically, it's mentally. I want to set aside the thoughts of the day, leave them on the outside. I want to focus on you. You're high, you're lifted up, you're full of glory, your train fills the temple, the angels cry holy. You're very great, clothed with honor and majesty, covered with light as a garment. I want to sound the alarm, praise God. I want to proclaim Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father. I am here to join forces with my father, uh, fellow brothers and sisters in, in the Lord. And this is a holy place and we're going to magnify the Lord. He inhabits the praises of his people. And Father, we're ready. The moment we walk in, we're ready, we're willing, we're able. Because someone might walk in who is in the need of something. But guess what? Because we created habitation for God, God will show up and meet that need of that person, save that loss, heal the sick, set the captives free, because we've created an atmosphere in which God is living and manifesting Himself. Can you say amen? Hallelujah.